So recently I had one of these days that just felt utterly chaotic from the get-go, like right when I woke up, it was just utterly chaotic. And the irony of this was that I was in a place that should have been really calm, the beach. I was at the beach. Here's what I did. I made the mistake of checking my email in the morning uh, during my second cup of coffee, and I discovered that I had two separate churches in town that I had agreed that I would preach there on the same Sunday at the same time. I can't be two places in once, so I'm, this is a major fail administratively on my end. And so I panicked. I began to call and text pastors who I know in the area probably would cover for me, and eventually they did. But in the background of like me looking at the text, uh, the, the email, kind of spilling coffee on myself with a mild panic attack, and I'm hearing babies crying in the background, and Ivy's like, hey, are we gonna go to the beach or not? It was so chaotic and hurried and fast. It felt like an hour had gone by, and it was just like three minutes. It was so chaotic. Again, I was in a place that should have been calm. I was at the beach. I was on vacation, but inwardly, I was so hurried and chaotic. Chaos. Life in a fallen world, the world that you and I live in that is sick with sickness and sin and death, is a wilderness. It is chaos. And many of us, it's the summer months, right? Oh, I can't wait for the summer, I said, and you said. I can't wait for the pace of life to slow down this summer. How's that going for you so far? Is it slow? It's so restful and Sabbathful, isn't it? No, it's not. I know. It's not for me. It's not for you. And that's okay. I'm tired and you're tired. We're halfway. It's like it's July just started. And y'all, it's chaotic. And even when we have these expectations for a vacation in the beach or the restful summer, inwardly or even just circumstantially in our life in a fallen world, it can feel chaotic. And we long for peace. We long for calm. And we're going to look at a story tonight in, John, in Mark's gospel. And it's a story where Jesus is on a boat with his friends and a hurricane level storm ensues and it is chaos. And they're having like a mild form of panic attacks combined with like seasickness and nausea. And Jesus responds to them. And we're going to see that he's our peace. I'm going to read the passage and we're going to walk through it. Friends, this is God's word. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Let me pray for us before we walk through it. Lord, your word is living and active. We know that's true because you are living and active and we're grateful that you've spoken. But Lord, it is so easy for us to walk in here and just hear these prayers and these stories and these sermons and come to the Lord's table just in an empty, ritualistic kind of way with not much life. And so I do ask that you would breathe life into us and speak to us that we might be changed, that we would hear your word and also do it. And we ask that you would do so in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to navigate our text in, with two words, chaos and calm. Chaos and calm. Let's do the first one, chaos. So you have the scene before you. Jesus and his disciples are on this boat. And they seemingly, in you know, loyalty to Jesus as his friends and disciples, they leave everything and they follow their Savior and they get on this boat. They did not think that this was going to happen. The Christian life is full of surprises. Hurricane-level storm. The boat has no chance. Chaos ensues and they feel it and they hear it and they see it right before their eyes. And it's chaotic because of the danger of the storm. The danger of the storm and circumstances is making it feel chaotic for them. The text says that the water could potentially either swallow up the boat completely, it's rising, or it could just like make the boat disintegrate. You hear the, the wood breaking. In verse 37, that's what it says. The waves were breaking in the boat and the boat was already filling. This is not a game. This is life or death. And as they hear the boat breaking, and as they see the water rising and rising and rising, they feel the chaos of this moment and they're in over their heads or they're about to be. And they need some help from the outside because these circumstances, the danger of the storm is pushing them to a breaking point, pushing them to the end of themselves. They don't have the resources to survive this. They're no match for this moment. It's not just chaotic because of the danger of the circumstances of the storm, but also Jesus is napping, y'all. Jesus is asleep in the basement of this boat. Jesus is napping. He's asleep. And verse 38 says that Jesus was on, a, on the cushion while the disciples are nauseated and hurried and panicked. I mean, you have to be kidding me. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, their master, is taking a nap. The disciples go down to the basement. And they say that striking phrase to Jesus, this rhetorical question. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not hear the hurricane level storm around? Do you not hear that? Do you not sense and anticipate what that's doing to us? Do you not care? The chaos in a fallen world for God's people results in us just believing that God is far off, probably apathetic, emotionally distant, disengaged. It's not unlike probably what King David felt in the Old Testament when he was running from his life from a crazy king called Saul. Lord, do you not see this man behind me right now? Are you going to do something? Do you not care that I'm perishing? 
It's not unlike God's people when they got to the Red Sea and they hear, heard the fury of the Egyptians' voices and the speed of their chariots. Do you not see what's happening right now? Are you going to do something? This ocean would look really good split open in two. You should deliver. Do you not care that we're perishing? Jonah in the belly of the fish, he was in a hurricane level storm as well. He got swallowed up and he prayed all kinds of raw prayers in that belly. I'll paraphrase. How long, O oh Lord, when are you going to act? It's a prayer of repentance, but it's also a prayer that's honest about God feeling far away because of the danger of the circumstances for Jonah. Elijah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, at the, he was on the, the brink of suicide, of taking his own life. Lord, where are you? When are you going to come close? Do you not see that I'm perishing in Jeremiah? We could go on and on, friends, but Jeremiah, his nickname is the weeping prophet. Do you not see the idolatry of your people? Do you not see my tears? Now, poor David, poor Jeremiah, poor Elijah, that's not me. I, it's us too. Can you hear, can you join their voices Jesus, when are you going to wake up? Jesus, do you not see the unrest in our country? Do you not see how hard my marriage is right now? Do you not see how hard parenthood is right now? Do you not see how hard it is to love my boss right now? And that you're, I'm tired of turning my other cheek. Do you not see, do you not care that I'm perishing? Are you sleeping through my pain? Have you prayed that way? Life in a fallen world with sin and sickness and death is chaos, not just for non-Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit, who are not cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Remember, these are Jesus' friends who left everything to go into this boat and go into the wilderness waters with Jesus. These are Christians, and it's crazy. The Christian life is chaotic, friends. And we all long to hear those words from Jesus that bring calm. Peace be still. Let's go to the second part. Calm. That was chaos. Calm. Jesus wakes up. Jesus responds. He responds to his friends. And in his response, I want you to see the mercy in his response. The mercy of his, of his response. The voice of Jesus' cries actually what wake Jesus up. It, it's actually the way that it reads, it's not the storm. It doesn't say like Jesus heard the waters coming up and the boat breaking and then he woke up because of what was going on with the storm. The way that it reads is the voice of his friends crying gets his attention and makes him alert. And Jesus knows his friends are worried. And that's why he wakes up. And listen, he doesn't have to respond. He doesn't have to, but he does. He calms the storm for his friends. And in doing so, it's an act of mercy. He doesn't have to do it. Now, there's also more mercy in his response because Jesus is trying to do something to his friends here. He's trying to, to test them, challenge them, stretch them spiritually. They might have thought they knew what discipleship was going to look like, and Jesus is like doing a number on them. And it actually goes, the external circumstances are the storm. He wants storms going all kinds of things in here with them. 
He wants their undivided attention and trust and faith. One commentator says this, the disciples must enter a terrible zone of bottomless distress where nothing stable can be clung to. He wants to push them to the end of themselves. That's what he wants. Well, they run out of options. And on the boat that day, that's what happens. And they go through a transformation. They went from being competent adult men who were exciting fishermen to scared little boys. That's what happens, and that's the point. That's the point, because you and I will never cling to the cross, cling to the blood of Jesus, unless we run out of options, unless we go from being competent individual, individuals who don't need Jesus, who are on our like little sacred road to self-actualization, where we don't really need Jesus. We just have our self-help tactics and spiritual to-do lists where we don't need much Jesus. No, we have to become like children who cry out like this. Or grace won't be sweet, or mercy won't be sweet or needed. You won't hear the, or receive the mercy of Jesus until you become a needy child. That's what we see. So we see the grace and mercy of Jesus' response. He wakes up, he responds, he doesn't have to. He meets them, he helps. He's also trying to do all kinds of stuff to their hearts in what he's just orchestrating for them. That's why we put that catechism question. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's absolutely sovereign. Even the winds and the waves obey him. One commentator in paraphrasing maybe what Jesus might be teaching his disciples, this is how he paraphrases it. Listen to this. Jesus to the disciples, am I not with you? Am I with you or not? Am I the Messiah or not? Have I not called you here? Have I not brought you here? Why then can you not sleep with me in the certainty that all you believe about me is true, not just on firm ground, but also in the peril of untamed waves. Why then can you not sleep with me in the certainty that all you believe about me is true, not only on firm ground, but also in the peril of untamed waves? Jesus is stretching them. He's after their hearts. That's what's going on. So we see calm as a result of the mercy of his response, but also the power of his voice. We see the power of Jesus' voice here. God is away with words, doesn't he? The same word that spoke creation into existence, that took chaotic waters of creation and formed them, is the same word who is speaking to the seas, and like that, they're calm. The same word. The power of his voice. When Jesus spoke to Lazarus after he died and everyone felt and saw the coldness of his body. With his words we see resurrection and he wakes up. When Jesus spoke to demon possessed people and lepers and sinners. They were healed by the power of his spirit by speaking words to people. The words of Jesus, we might say, are living and active. When Jesus speaks, watch out. Who knows what might happen? Because the man taking a nap in the basement just so happens to be the word made flesh, the Messiah, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. We see the power of his voice. There's a familiar scene in The Lion King, the animated version. I'm not sure if this is in the live action version. And it's a scene where Simba, while he's still a cub, finds himself going, he goes to the elephant graveyard, this scary place with the creepy hyenas. Do you remember this? He goes to the elephant graveyard and he's scared. And the hyenas go to him and they start mocking him and taunting him. Very scary. They want to kill Simba because Simba is going to become the king of Pride Rock. Okay, that's what happens. And he gets intimidated and scared. And, and Simba, if you've seen the movie, you know he roars at them. He roars. But if you've seen the movie, you know his roar is really weak. And it's really soft because he's still a young cub. And they start mocking him more, taunting him, wagging their heads. And then out of nowhere, Mufasa, dad, shows up, who is the current king of Pride Rock. And he goes and he saves his son. How does he do it? He roars. And when he roars, there's salvation and there is rescue. Because there is power in Mufasa's roar. He uses his voice to rescue his son. There's power in his voice. He has authoritative kind of tones to his voice. There's power. When Jesus speaks, there is power. And when he speaks, he is so committed to protecting his people from anything that would defeat us, that would thwart his plan for his, the extension of his kingdom in the life of the church. His power to his voice, we see this. When he speaks, there is calm. When my daughter Annie cries, oftentimes, like magic, I feel so, it's a really cool moment when we do this. But just like going into the room and her just hearing our voices, most of the time, she'll just stop crying. There's like power and magic to my voice and to Ivy's voice for Annie. Friends, there is a consoling, powerful, creative word that Jesus speaks to his people. And we see that on full display. He might have been napping, but he's still king. And we see that when he gets up. Probably a month or so ago, Justin mentioned a young woman who appeared on The Voice who goes by Nightbird. And I can't pronounce her name, and I'm going to try to. Her real name is Jane Marskazetsky. And she is a young woman who's gone through three different cancer battles before she turned 30. She also happens to be a follower of Jesus. And she wrote an essay, and it's called God on the Bathroom Floor. And it's, it's a testimonial essay where she describes her bout with cancer and how it's stretching her in her faith. And I'm, I'm going to let you gear up for this because it's lengthy. There's no way I can't read everything that I'm about to read. But I'm going to read you her words, okay? I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that I might, when I might die and meet with God, that he will say, I'm disappointed with you, or that I offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say that I just never learned the lesson or I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing that I know is this. He can never say that he didn't know me. Because I'm God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, 
Sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, and demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door for me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant that. I told him that I wanted to die, and I meant that too. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down to my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. You can call me bitter if you want. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. Because I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message that he wrote for me in the grout. I am sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one, I know it, but maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us and I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I'm reminded myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stray and stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but it promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't even pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out, fire lit their path each night, every morning that he sent them morning mercy bread from heaven called manna. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? Same questions I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket that my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer that I don't mean yet, but I'm committed to repeating it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden just for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen to him. I know that sounds crazy. I can't really explain it, but God is there, I know. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And that's true. If you can't see God, look lower because God is on the bathroom floor. God is on the bathroom floor. God meets with those who have panic attacks. God meets with those who have addictions. God meets with those who are doubting. God meets with those who are hungry and lonely and thirsty. That's who God meets with, on the bathroom floor, as it were, with the confused and angry and the rest. I want to remind you that Jesus indeed woke up from that nap, but it wasn't the storm that woke him. It was his friends' voices. So I want to say to you, God hears you when you cry out to him. God hears you when you cry out to him. And he will respond. He will respond. And ultimately, friends, we have been in such a predicament with sin. God has responded to our ultimate need. 
with the cross and resurrection and what we're going to celebrate at that table. That with the cross and resurrection, Jesus has said, don't touch my children. Don't touch my child. Don't punish him or punish her. Punish me. Jesus has responded. And in doing so, we have salvation in him. We have cleansing. We have forgiveness. We have new life. And so right now, I don't know exactly where everyone is here tonight. Maybe this summer is more peaceful than you thought it was going to be. Maybe it's more chaotic than you thought it was going to be. But I want to tell you that Christ is our peace. He is. Whether you're on the bathroom floor with a sickness or you're on the high because you got a promotion in your job, Jesus Christ is our peace. And that is good news because it's a peace that we can't muster up. But only he can give it to us. Let me pray for us. Lord. I just confess, even just as walking through this passage, that I want to find peace on my own terms. I want it with immediate gratification. I want peace right here, right now, in my way. I bet I'm not alone. Be patient with us. Walk with us this week as we go into the wilderness called a fallen world that you've called us to. Lord, as it gets chaotic, and it will, as we become inwardly hurried, and we will, calm us by your spirit. And may we hear your words, peace be still, and trust the power of your voice. We ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.